Well, thank you, worship ministry, for leading us this morning. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to John 19. John 19, and we're going to be in verses 23 through 27. John 19, verses 23 through 27. As we speak this morning on how man stripped God. We've been in John for some time now, a long time, and we have now been in John 19 for several weeks. Lord willing, the plan is to culminate uh, this portion of John by moving into John 20 on Easter Sunday. Of course, that is April the 17th, and we won't be meeting here. As we've discussed previously, we'll be meeting just down the road here at the Bancor South Arena and Conference Center. And we would love for you to, have, to be able to be there and be a part of that. But today we want to look and speak about Jesus as He hung on the cross in shame. The main statement this morning is this, is He took our shame. He took our shame. I want you to look with me in verses 23 through 27. In verses 23 through 27, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots or die for it. For it is uh, for it to see whose it shall be. Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So four women. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, a couple of observations here as we begin. It was customary practice that the executioners would be able to share in the spoils of the garments left behind by the condemned. And they executed. For instance, somebody would have gotten the sandals. Somebody would have gotten the, the belt or sash. Someone would have gotten his coat. And these parts would have been divvied out amongst them. But when they came to the tunic, it is the tunic which was the undergarment that Jesus would have worn. It would have stretched the length of his body, and it was essentially the underwear of which he would have worn at that time. 
it was sewn together as one piece. So there was no way to pull it apart at the seam, so to speak, and divide it among them equally. So they cast lots for it. And in doing so, left Jesus naked. Now I know when we see stories of Jesus crucified and artistic renderings, Jesus is often given a loincloth in the artistic rendering of our Lord. But just about every biblical scholar says that it was Roman customary practice to crucify the individual naked in order to shame them, to heap shame upon them in their hour of execution. So when we think about Jesus and the fact that He hung on a cross naked for us, we learn that He did this to take our shame. Now, here's a question. As we move in to talking about what it means that Jesus hung naked on the cross, what does nakedness mean in the Bible? All of us know what it means to be naked. It means to not have any clothes on. I'm not talking about, by definition, what does it mean to be naked? It means to be unclothed. I'm talking about thematically, typologically. What does it mean to be naked in the Bible? Well, first, we see in the Word of God very early in the Bible that God gave humans clothes as a mercy. God gave humans clothes as a mercy. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6-11, through 11, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned and God comes looking for them in the garden and they are hiding themselves because they are naked and afraid. They had attempted to sow fig leaves to cover their nakedness. But listen to verses 6 and following. It will be on the screen. It will not be on the screen. Just listen. (laughs) So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Theologians talk about the end of innocence. Most theologians, when they talk about this passage, they imagine Adam and Eve not as actual children, but having the innocence of childhood. And now having, through the wisdom of life experience and sin, an awareness that they previously did not have before they had broken God's law. And in a similar way, but somewhat different, but in a similar way, we talk about the innocence of youth, the innocence of childhood. But as, you, as we grow up and we become aware of the world, we become aware of something called judgment that we can receive from others. And as we are judged by others and others judge us, 
we become aware of our own nakedness. In verse number 8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Meaning, he's acknowledging the end of their innocence. He says, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, you know the rest of the story. God doles out and explains the consequences that are now going to happen, that the ground is now cursed because of what Adam has done, that raising children will be hard because of what Eve has done. And because the serpent has done this, he is ultimately going to be crushed by the seed of the woman. But at the end of those things, in Genesis 3.21, at the, almost the very end of Genesis chapter 3, It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins. Garments of skins and clothed them. Some theologians, as they've looked there, they've noticed that skins are different than fig leaves. Skins are not going to wear out like fig leaves will. But the Lord God gave these clothes to the man and the woman as a mercy. Why did he do this? Well, first, clothes protect us from shaming ourselves. Clothes protect us from shaming ourselves. I mean, some of us, not to get too crude, but I mean, I think we can understand here, especially just as we get older. You get out of the shower and you stand in front of the mirror and you think... I need to put some clothes on. (laughs) And you look increasingly better the more clothes you put on. Why? Because these bodies that we have are falling apart. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were innocent in their nakedness before the Lord, they felt no shame. Years ago, there was a dog that wandered up to our house and it was, looked like a, a poodle of some kind and it was severely matted. It had not been cared for in some time, so I took it to someone to have the dog shaved and clipped and stuff like that, but the mats were so deep in the dog, they had to shave the dog almost completely down. And would you know it, that after that dog was shaved, the dog would try to hide its exposure. Adam and Eve felt the vulnerability of being naked in front of each other because their innocence was gone. And they felt vulnerable and exposed. And the first thought, I'm sure, one of the first thoughts Adam would have thought is, oh, what does Eve think about me? What does God think about me? 
Because now there is a self-awareness that is focused in on self and their own nakedness. Clothes protect us from shaming ourselves. Also, clothes protect us from the judgment of others. Not only did God give Adam and Eve clothes as a mercy to prevent themselves from feeling the shame of what they had done, but He gave them clothes as a mercy that they might not experience judgment from one another. For instance, when someone is naked, they are physically in their most vulnerable state before you. Therefore, it's something that has to be taken so delicately Clothes protect us from the judgment of others. Also, clothes prevent us from shaming others too. This whole idea that Adam and Eve can no longer trust each other in the garden with their vulnerability. God gave them clothes in order to protect them not just from the judgment of others, but they themselves from judging each other. And then also this is that clothes are only to be removed for the purpose of vulnerability. I know, gosh, we go to the doctor and things like that. But clothes are only to be removed for the purpose of vulnerability in a trusting relationship between a husband and wife. In Genesis chapter 3.22, I want to... Amen. Chapter 3, verses 22 and following... I want you to read the Scripture to you, and I want you to see this. This is something I noticed a few months ago when we were going through this section of Scripture in the podcast. I'd never thought about it before. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken, from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I want you to see the very first phrase after the whole Garden of Eden debacle. This is chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife. This is not biblical discussion of a conversation. This is talking about sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I'd never paid attention to it. They were naked and unashamed in the garden. Then because of their sin that they committed with each other and before God, they were naked and ashamed not just before God, but each other. And God clothed them to hide their nakedness. But the first thing that they do when they get out of the garden that's listed in the text... I mean, maybe they made a sandwich first or something like that. I don't know. 
But the first thing that's listed is that they came together as man and wife. What does that mean? That means the clothes that God had just placed on them, they took off for the purpose of vulnerability and intimacy. So there's something very beautiful here. Number one, we see that God cares for us. He gave us clothes. He gave Adam and Eve's, Eve clothes as a mercy. And there's also something that we can learn here from the text early in the Scripture. Is that vulnerability, whether it be physical nakedness or emotional nakedness, is such a precious thing. And you wound someone deeply if you shame them in their physical nakedness or in their emotional nakedness or just shaming someone for how they are or how they look. or God gave clothes as a mercy that we would not shame ourselves, shame others, and that others would not shame us. And then He gave marriage as the place where we can be vulnerable and at the same time accepted. Isn't that what we're looking for? When it comes to intimacy between a man and a woman, not just looking for sex, but looking for intimacy coming together and protecting and covering each other's heart and entrusting ultimate vulnerability to the other person. By the way, that means that when someone with whom you have been completely vulnerable before hurts you deeply, it hurts all the more. For those of us who have been wounded by spouses or wounded by abuse of some kind and we have had our vulnerability turned into judgment because someone has betrayed our nakedness. Friends, that is a deep, deep wound. God gave us clothes as a mercy that He might cover us, that we would not feel shame. I want you to think about the exact antithesis of God in the garden and comparing it to the Roman soldiers at the crucifixion. God was covering man even though man deserved to feel shame. The woman deserved to feel shame. God covered them. The men at the cross, Jesus did not deserve to feel shame. Yet they stripped Him and exposed Him. Principle number two. Not only did God give humans clothes as a mercy, but clothes were the first mercy God gave to humans and clothes were the final thing taken from Jesus. Friends, he was stripped naked. Stripped naked. Imagine just the pain 
of crucifixion. But then now imagine being stripped naked and crucified on a tree for all to see in the middle of town. This is what happened to Jesus. Jesus was mocked and He was shamed. The very reason God gave clothes that we might be protected in our vulnerability was the very thing that was removed from Jesus and He was jeered and shamed. In Eastern culture, Western culture, we have a, we, we're weird when it comes to nakedness and it all has to do with Greek roots and um, Western civilization and stuff like that. But um, Jewish people, nakedness is huge. You do not appear naked or underclothed for any purpose in Middle Eastern culture. The Greeks and the Europeans, that's different. I went to the Holy Land a few years ago with Pastor David Langerfeld, and we went down to the Dead Sea. <laughs> he said, now, just be aware, there's going to be some Europeans there, and which meant they're not going to have as many clothes on as the rest of us. But in Jewish culture... Nakedness, you did not appear naked before anyone outside of your spouse for any reason. Because it was the idea of shaming. For instance, Middle Eastern culture, and in some ways Far East culture, shame and shaming a family is such a huge deal. For instance, if a member of your family brings shame on your family, you have to leave town. Another thing I learned in the Holy Land from our tour guide is that there was a relative or a neighbor of theirs that had a teenage boy that had committed some kind of crime, and I don't remember what it was, but he was an Arab. But he had committed a crime. His whole family had to leave town. Not just him, but his father and mother, his brothers and sisters, his aunts and uncles, his grandparents. It's shame culture. If you mess up, you are exposed and banished from the community. So understand, it, Jesus would have felt shame, someone would have felt shame being crucified before an American audience, certainly. But multiply that even more when you consider that this was a Middle Eastern audience where there is such thing as a shame culture. I told some folks last Sunday night, I had the privilege of going to a very significant nation in Southeast Asia about a decade ago. Loved my time there. Loved getting to know the people. But the person we were staying with, they had one daughter. At the time when they were having children, you were only allowed to have one child. They had one daughter and they went to school to pick her up and I would ride with the people as they went to go and pick up their daughter from school. And on the front of the school, there were big letters which had been painted up there for all to see. There were two columns. There were ten here. And then there were ten over here. Uh, now, keep in mind, they read from right to left but, uh, and actually top to bottom as well. Uh, but anyway, as I was looking at that, I, 
notice, I mean, I can't read that language, but I was noticing that these were names. I knew enough to know that these were names. Names of students. And I said, what is, what is with that? What, what is that? And they said, oh, that one over there on the right, those are the top ten students of the school with the highest grade point average. I said, wow. So is th- this 11 through 20 over here? They said, oh no, that's the bottom ten students in the school. I said, what? <laughs> they said, that's the bottom ten students. They said, you all don't do this in America? I said, no. We love our losers. Like, we, 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 we don't do that kind of thing. We, we would lose our minds. Uh, listen, and that's not to imply that people are losers because of grades, because we all know that intelligence is bigger than a GPA um, and work ethic, of course. Don't read too much into that joke. But the point being is that they, the family would have to see their name on the front of the school and they would feel shame. In a lot of ways, Western culture is shameless. But Jesus was not crucified before members of Western culture. The shame that Mary would have felt to have her son's nakedness exposed for all to see. Friends, Jesus was given less dignity than an animal. He was given less dignity than an animal. Which leads me to the third thing. Mary, his mother, had to stand and watch this spectacle of shame. I wonder what she was thinking. This is her baby. This is her firstborn. Seeing her 30-year-old son hung up there, mutilated and naked for all that pass by and see. As they walked by, they would have sneered. They would have leaned down and told their children, you don't ever want to be like that man. And Mary having to take all these things in. I wonder what she was thinking. I wonder if she was ashamed that her other children abandoned their brother. I did not think about this before this week. Where are Jesus' brothers? They didn't even show up to His execution. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, for not even His brothers believed in Him. And in the Synoptic Gospels, it says that His brothers believed that, they were out, that He was out of His mind. You didn't know Jesus had a dysfunctional family, did you? They couldn't get along. Specifically, they couldn't agree on Jesus. And even at His execution, they didn't bother to show up to even heap more shame to not even be identified with Him. I wonder if she was ashamed that her other children had abandoned their brother. I mean, come on. We just read, Jesus had to entrust His mother to His disciple. Where were His brothers? I wonder if she was ashamed her other children had abandoned their brother. And just 
The shame of not only the nakedness of her son being exposed, but the fact that now the world is seeing just how dysfunctional her family is. Maybe things started happening after Joseph died. I don't know. The Scripture's silent. We don't know. I wonder if she thought about swaddling clothes. I thought about this this week. The first person to ever encounter the nakedness of Jesus was his mother. And what did she do? She clothed him and swaddled him in strips of cloth. In Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35, it says, And his father, oh, excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. The other one will be in a second. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. I wonder if she thought about swaddling clothes. I wonder if she thought about Simeon's prophecy. This is another thing out of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35. Remember, Simeon was the old man. Some speculate he was close to 100. It's, um, anyway, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Interesting. Mary was told from the prophet Simeon, when Jesus was eight days old, There is something about your son, Jesus, that is going to pierce your heart, Mary. And it is not only going to pierce your heart, it's going to expose everyone's heart. I wonder if she thought about Simeon's prophecy. I can't think, as a parent, and I'm not a mother, but trying to put myself in Mary's shoes. You've got people gambling for his underwear. He has been stripped. He has been beaten. He is thirsty. He is dying. And she has to stand there and watch. Oh, how she must have wanted to wrap him up and hold him. His mother had to stand and watch this spectacle of shame, knowing there was nothing she could do about it. But then it leads me to number four. Number four is this. Jesus, the same God who clothed Adam and Eve, still clothed His mother and His crucifiers. It's so amazing to me that in the midst of of His nakedness, His vulnerability, His death and execution, Jesus' mind is still on others. This is the greatness and the magnitude of our Savior. 
In John 20, 19, verses 26 and 27, it says, When Jesus saw His mother, what does that mean? He looked down from the cross. He's hanging there. And He sees His mother. He looks down from the cross. He's there. He's supposed to be feeling shame. He's the one that this spectacle is all about. And He is looking at her and He is covering her. Notice what He says. When he saw his mother and disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. It was Middle Eastern custom at that time that the oldest son would be responsible for the care of their parents. Jesus, even dying in shame, is still covering the vulnerability of his mother. He's saying, Mama, I'm not going to leave you without help. Even on the cross, He was taking care of His mama. Even on the cross, He clothed His mother. Also, even on the cross, He clothed His crucifiers. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, this won't be on the screen because I just saw this this morning. 23 verse 34, it says this, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide His garments. You want to talk about people not understanding the holiness of the moment. That the most holy human being to ever live, the God-man, Jesus is being crucified naked in front of this crowd and the soldiers are mocking Him and gambling away His clothes. You want to talk about somebody not appreciating the holiness of the moment. It's the soldiers. And what did Jesus say about them? Father, forgive them. Cover them. For they don't know what they're doing. Even man, as man has stripped God to shame him, Jesus is still covering his mother. He's covering the soldiers. And friends, even on the cross, he clothed and covered you and me. I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. It says, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, therefore neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. On the cross, Jesus hung naked for you and He hung naked for for me. I want you to think about that. 
we got one more statement after this. When men were crucified, we looked at it last week, above them would be their sentence. Murderer, robber, rapist, whatever, fill in the blank, insurrectionist, rebel. And then they would have been stripped naked in front of their peers to not only pay for what they've done, but to shame them in front of everyone. Do you realize what Jesus has done for you? I want you to think for just a minute, just a second here. What are the top three, or bottom three for that matter, most embarrassing, foolish sins you have ever done? Maybe it's not so much embarrassing. What are the top three? They're just so wrong. I'm not. At, don't answer out loud, please. What are they? That if they were exposed for all to see, that you would feel just as naked as these men on the cross. Jesus has already felt the shame that you feel over those. And you don't have to be ashamed anymore of what you have done. For if you are covered by Him and belong to Him, He has not only suffered the penalty of your sin, but He has suffered the shame of your sin. Friend, you are covered. You are covered. And friends, if He has clothed us, let us receive His mercy and in turn clothe one another. You know, one of the things that the church, for whatever reason, is caricatured as being is judgmental. That we're all too quick to point out this and this and this about everybody and Sometimes ourselves, even within the church. Friends, it's not when you're pointing that you're like Jesus. It's when you're covering that you're like Jesus. You say, oh, but Brother Matt, listen. Folks have got to pay for what they've done. Like, for instance, you know, when I, you know, I'm not gossiping because, you know, it's not gossip because it's true and stuff like that. I mean, I didn't do it. I mean, it's them, so it's not really my fault. Friends, is that what you want for you? Do you want your brothers and sisters pointing and shaming you? Your brothers and sisters not even showing up like Jesus' brothers? Is that our model? Or can we be like Jesus? whose love covers a multitude of sins. Friends, Jesus hung naked for you. You don't have to feel shame anymore. And we do not ever need to shame others because we ourselves have been covered and 
covered people cover other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I cannot get my mind around the greatness of your love. Lord, the greatness of your commitment to your Father and to us that you not only endured the pain of the cross, but you endured the shame of the cross that, Lord, you can offer to us not just the removal and forgiveness of sin, but the removal of shame and guilt so that we might be free. Right now, in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to go back to those top three things. If you're like me, even thinking about it makes you disgusted, frustrated. How did I do it? What was I thinking? What in the world? Now you tell yourself, Jesus has paid for this. He's not only forgiven me, he has now taken my shame. 